Oh boy, I, that's one of my favorite transition videos ever. Uh, you have no idea how long it took to make that. Uh, just imagine one of our video people in a dark room someplace watching message after message, trying to figure out if they could do some bad lip reading in it. If you've never seen the bad lip reading videos, they're really funny. They've got NFL, NBA, got to check it out. Uh, we are in a second week of a series called A Little Bit of Wisdom Goes a Long Way. And there's this man in the Old Testament named King Solomon, and at one point, God comes to him, and he says, if you could have anything, what would it be? And it's almost like God is expecting Solomon to say, well, I want power and money and fame, because that's the kind of thing people ask for in those situations. But instead, Solomon thinks about it, and he goes, God, what I really want is wisdom, so that I can lead your people better. God is so impressed by his answer that he not only gives him wisdom, But he gives him money, power, and fame as well. A little bit of wisdom goes a long way. Just for fun, if God came to you and asked you that question, you can have anything you want, what would your answer be? Now, I know we're in church, and you heard me say that Solomon asked for wisdom, so some of you are like, wisdom, that's that's the right answer. Some of you are thinking, Jesus? You know, when you're in church, Jesus is always the right answer to any question that ever gets asked. But I'm asking you, really, like, what is it that you think about the most? What is it that you spend the most money on? What is it that you spend the most time on? What is it that you desire the most in life? This past March, I took my two oldest sons, they're 13 and 11 years old, to the National Championship College basketball game. It's at U.S. Bank Stadium down at Minneapolis. And prior to the game, we were doing this video shoot at the Minneapolis Convention Center. So part of the video shoot, we walked from the convention center to Nicollet Mall and then down to U.S. Bank Stadium. By the time we got to U.S. Bank Stadium, I thought, I don't want to go back and get my car and have to pay for parking again. So I just left it at the convention center and we went to the game. Normally, I'm a leave early guy. If I'm at the Twins game, bottom of the eighth, top of the ninth, I'm like, let's beat traffic. Let's see if we can get out of here before everybody else. But this was a once in a lifetime experience. So I said, we're going to stay for everything. We're going to stay for the award ceremony, the interviews, just take it all in. When we left, it was 1130 at night. I put Google Maps, I took Google Maps out of my phone and I put in the Minneapolis Convention Center and it said we had a 22 minute walk. So I turned to my 13 and 11 year old and I said, let's run. (laughs) Have you ever run through downtown Minneapolis at midnight? with two little boys after a major sporting event, you will spend the whole time explaining why you shouldn't drink too much and how babies are made. (laughs) It's like, don't look at that. Don't listen to that. That's not a real fireman. Let's get him out of here. You know, (laughs) you are spending the whole time trying to get them not to sin 300 times in 20 minutes. That's pretty much what the whole thing is. We finally got down to the convention center, and this is going to seem almost unbelievable, but I could not remember where I parked. All I could remember was I was parked on the roof of a ramp, but I could not remember which ramp I was parked in. So all I could do was run to the top of one ramp, eight flights of stairs, no car, down eight flights of stairs, across the street to a different parking ramp, up seven flights of stairs, no car back down seven flights of stairs. I kept looking behind me to make sure my 13 and 11-year-old were still with me. 
And so finally, my 13-year-old said, Dad, just run. We'll keep up with you. I went up six or seven ramps. Now it's one o'clock in the morning, and I cannot find my car. I was about to have a panic attack. I called my wife on the phone, and I couldn't breathe. I just said, pray for me. I cannot find my car. My saving grace was that my parking ticket was in my pocket. And so I went to the convention center and I pounded on the door as loud as I possibly could. Finally, a security guard came and she looked at my parking ticket and she said, you know, there's actually two different parking ramps that have the same name. The parking ramp that you're in is probably the smaller one. It's around the corner on 3rd Street. Went around the corner, climbed up seven flights of stairs, and there was my car. Now, my kids couldn't keep up, so I had to leave them downtown. But I was safe. (laughs) I made it. I was safe. But I thought about this afterwards, and I thought, you know, I wonder if that's how some people are with life. That there's something in life that you're looking for. And you're going up every flight of stairs that you can think of to try to get it. Maybe for you, you think, you know what? I will be happy. I will be satisfied if I get married. I will be happy or satisfied if I can just find someone that I would consider marrying someday. If that would happen, that would, just, that would be everything. Some of us are saying, you know what? If I could just make enough to work from home, have some more flexibility in my schedule. If we could just get that job or that position, if we could just hit our financial goals or start our own business, you know, if I could hand off the business to someone and then I could have some more leisure time, then I'd be happy, then I'd be satisfied. If we could get the kids out of the house, if we could retire. But sometimes what happens is you get what you were looking for, but when you get to the top of the ramp, all of a sudden you look around and what you really wanted, the happiness, the stress-free life, it's not there. The thing you thought you desired, it wasn't parked where you thought it was. And that is a hopeless feeling. Look at what Solomon, the author of Proverbs, which is the book that we're looking at in this series. He's also the one who asked God for wisdom. Look at what he writes in Proverbs 27, verse 20. He says, human desire is never satisfied. I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, never Because there's times when I'm really hungry and then I eat a good meal and I kind of sit back and go, oh, I'm, I'm really satisfied right now. So what does Solomon mean when he says that human desire is never satisfied? What he means is that the deepest longings that you have in your life for significance, for purpose, for value and worth, those cannot be met by anything in this world. You will never be fully satisfied If you keep looking to the things of this world to give you life, you'll go up the relationship ramp and it won't be there. You'll go up the money ramp, won't be there. You'll go up the job or the achievement ramp and it won't be there. There's only one ramp that contains what you are really looking for in life and that's the God ramp. Look what author Tim Keller has to say about this. He says, if you love anything in this world more than God, that's a critical statement, more than God. It's not wrong to love the things of this world, but when you start to love them, when you start to desire them more than you desire or love God, now that's when problems start to happen. 
He says, if that happens, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations. Ever had some high expectations? You get out, asked on a date by a guy, and you're really excited about it. You go out, you buy a new outfit. You tell your friends, I got this date on Friday night. And they're like, call me right when it's done. I want to hear all about it. And then you go on the date, and the guy spends the whole time talking about Fortnite. He's like, oh, I won this one level, and there's a new Fortnite dance out. It's really cool. And you're just like, oh, my goodness. This is what I was had high expectations for? Keller says this can happen in deeper areas of life as well. That if you are looking to your boyfriend and girlfriend to make you feel good about yourself and to give you life, pretty soon you're going to crush your boyfriend or girlfriend under those expectations. If they're going to go, you know what, I, I can't do for you what you apparently need me to do for you. If you're looking to your kids and their high behavior and their high achievements to make you feel better about yourself and good about life, pretty soon you're going to crush them under the weight of your expectations. They're going to go, this is too much pressure, and they're either going to rebel or they're just going to quit. It's because no person, place, or relationship can meet your deepest desires. Only God can meet your deepest desires. Proverbs has a lot to say about desire. Look at a few of these verses with me. Proverbs 8.11 says, Wisdom is more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to it. In other words, nothing in this world is more important than God and his wisdom. Proverbs 10.24, What the wicked dread will overtake them, what the righteous desire will be granted. So there's a moral component to our desires. That if you're walking with God and obeying God, your desires are more likely to be fulfilled. Here's another one, Proverbs 11. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. In other words, our desires can trap us. Wise people don't accept their desires as they are. That's the opposite of what our society teaches today. If you ask most people for advice on what you should do, here's what they'll tell you. Just follow your heart. Just do what you want to do. Just do what feels good to you. Wise people recognize that not every desire they have is one that should be followed. Advertisers play into this all the time. That's why some beer commercials show fit, trim people running along the beach, laughing with each other, drinking this beer. What do swimsuits and bikinis and running along the beach and fit and trim people have to do with drinking that beer? Well, the advertisers want you to think that if you drink that beer, you're going to be fit and trim, and you're going to be running along the beach with other fit, trim people who are laughing at your jokes and having a great time. Now, here's the reality if you drink too much of that beer. But you'll never see this guy in a beer commercial. Why is that? Because they want to play into your desires. And our desires can trap us. Happens all the time. Let's say you see a house. And it's way out of your price range. It's not in your budget. But you think, you know what? Look at that backyard. There's a hot tub. There's some privacy. 
and you start to envision yourself coming home after a long day and you're just sitting in the hot tub and you think, if we had that house, I'd be so much less stressed out. I'd be so much happier. That, that house is what's going to turn things around in my life. And it's a trap. Now you're sitting out in the hot tub calculating numbers in your brain, stressed out about the interest that you have to pay on the loan that you took out. And you realize that sometimes our desires can trap us. Which brings me back to the question that I asked at the beginning, which is, what is it that you desire the most in life? Since January, I've been reading through the book of Proverbs, and I've also been doing this devotion by Tim Keller called, called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And I would highly recommend this devotional book. He gives you a verse from Proverbs every day and then a little bit of teaching on it. And you could spend a year in this book just reading one entry a day, going through Proverbs. But in this book, he says that our desires can entrap us, which is why wise people reorder their desires. That's a critical word, reorder. They're not wrong to desire something, but what's the order of those desires in your life? And is God the first desire? Keller goes on to talk about three desires that oftentimes trap us and tend to push God out of the top spot. And as I teach through these three, I want you to be thinking to yourself, which one of these are you the most likely to be entrapped by? Here's the first desire that can trap us. It's approval. Proverbs 29, 25, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but to trust the Lord means safety. I love how Pastor Craig Grishel says it. He says, being obsessed with what other people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Some of us live our life obsessed with what other people think about us. Here's some signs that that might be you, that you care too much. The first one is this, you're overly sensitive to criticism. So you do something at work or school and 10 people are like, oh, that was fantastic. And then one person goes, I didn't like it. And it just dings you. You can't even remember the 10 positive comments because all you can think about is that one negative. Even when people try to give you some constructive criticism and feedback, you get defensive. You're like, like you don't do that. You, you do the same thing. That's not true. That's not what I was doing. It's a sign that you're seeking approval too much. Second sign is that you're willing to compromise your values. So your boyfriend comes to you and says, I love you. I've never loved someone like I love you. We need to take our relationship to the next level. And you know what that means. And you know that God doesn't want you to do that. You don't want to do that, but you do it because we're seeking approval. Here, here's another sign. You worry what others think on social media. So you post something on Instagram and 12 seconds later, you're like, I don't have any likes. No comments. It's been 12 seconds. Do I need to take a different picture, a different filter? I mean, what's the problem here? And then you think to yourself, give it some time. So you walk away, 12 seconds later, you're like, 24 seconds. Nobody's liked or commented on my picture. I'm worthless. I mean, I have no value. I'm worried about this. There's some great things in social media. But I'm concerned that we are raising a whole generation of young people who are becoming obsessed with what other people think about them. And consequently, they are forgetting what God thinks 
about them. Here's a fourth sign. You can't say no. So somebody comes to you and says, hey, do you, you want to come over on Saturday night? Well, we've got a baseball tournament. We've got karate. We've got my cousin's birthday party. We want to get to church. We've got a newborn. But I, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> hey, hey, can you return this email for me? Yeah, I got like 10 other emails to return and 15 phone calls and a 35-minute presentation due tomorrow. But, but sure, I'll, I'll return that email for you. Some of you can relate to this. You walk around with a low-grade anxiety that says, well, I hope they weren't upset about that. They didn't seem like they were. They didn't really respond. They didn't text me back. I, I hope they weren't offended by that. I, they seem like they might have been a little bit upset. You need to begin to pray that God would set you free from this. You need to start to pray, God, would I care less about what others think and more about what you think? Would I stop seeking the approval of other people and start to seek your approval above all else? One author calls this when people are big and God is small. It's so true. For some of us, people have become big and God has become small. And you've got to reorder that desire in your life. Look at what Proverbs says about this again. Proverbs 29. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But to trust the Lord means safety. That when you get alone from, with God and you get away from other people and their opinions and needing their approval and you just go, God, am I pleasing you? You feel a sense of safety. You feel a sense of security and stability. You're off the roller coaster of seeking other people's approval. Paul in the New Testament says it this way. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That's a great question. You ought to ask yourself that. You ought to look at your behavior and the things, the decisions that you've been making lately and ask yourself, am I seeking the approval of people or of God? Which one? He goes on, he says, or am I trying to please man, mankind? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot do the things that God has called you to do if you are obsessed with what other people think about you. The bad news is you can't please everyone, but you can please God. And that's the one that matters. Here's a second desire that can begin to entrap us. It's pleasure. Proverbs 21, those who love pleasure become poor. Wine and luxury are not the way to riches. Pleasure is not a bad thing. Contrary to popular belief, God is not against pleasure. God created pleasure. God created sleep. God created sex. God created bacon. So clearly God's not against pleasure. But look at what the verse says again. Those who love pleasure. Those who love or desire pleasure more than they love or desire God, they become what? They become poor. Not just materially poor, but they become relationally and spiritually poor as well. See, here's the problem with pleasure. It's never satisfied. There's always more food. There's always more drink. There's always more thrills. There's always more entertainment. There's always more highs. There's always more leisure. There's always more, more, more. It's never satisfied. Look at what the Bible says about a man named Moses. It says he chose to suffer with God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is fun. 
You may not have expected to hear that in church today. If your mom calls you after church and says, what did you learn in church today? You should say, I learned that sin is fun. And your mom's going to go, sweetie, I don't think you should go to that church anymore. I feel like you should come to our church next time. Like, but it's true. Sin is fun. That's why people do it. It's fun to gossip about another person. I don't know why, but you can kind of feel it. It's fun to have sex outside of marriage for a while. But look at the word that gets attached to the pleasures of sin. Fleeting. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this for you. And for some reason, White Castle hamburgers came to mind. <laughs> and this is going to make percentage of you a high percentage gag. But I really like White Castle hamburgers. I, a good charbroiled, perfectly prepared burger by a master White Castle chef with just the right amount of onion and spice. I mean, they call them sliders because they slide down real easy. But here's the thing about White Castle burgers. The pleasure is fleeting. 20 minutes later, two minutes later, you go, oh. I shouldn't have eaten that. You know, I, I should have passed on the Crave box today, should have gone for something different. And sin is the exact same way. It's fleeting. It slides down real easy. It feels good at first. You go, you know what? I needed this. I've been so serious lately. I've been so stressed out. I've been so busy. I just needed this. This feels really good. And then you wake up the next morning. Or two weeks later or two years later. And you go, oh, why did I do that? I don't feel good about that anymore. The pain of sin always outweighs the pleasure of sin. You should be asking yourself, will the pain outweigh the pleasure? And when it comes to sin, the answer is always yes. That's why one author says, play the movie forward. You ever been watching a movie before and you go, oh, I, I can kind of tell where this is going? My wife lured me into watching a Hallmark movie again recently. It was called Friend to Fiance, classic Hallmark title. And partway through the movie, I got up to go to the bathroom, and my wife paused it. I said, oh, you don't need to do that. And she said, well, what if you get back and you don't know what happened? I said, I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure I'd go to the bathroom, make a ham sandwich, you know, take a couple laps around the neighborhood. I'll come back at the end of the movie and we can just hold each other and go, I can't believe they got together. <laughs> I mean, after all that, they I, I didn't see that coming. Because you can kind of see where those things are going. Play the movie forward. When it comes for some of you, to your drinking, play the movie forward. You say, well, I'm not addicted. I, I'm, I'm pretty functional. I don't think it's causing many problems. Play the movie forward. Where is that drinking going to lead your marriage or your relationship with your kids five years from now, 10 years from now? When it comes to your spending habits, play the movie forward. 
Is that going to put you in a good spot five, ten years from now? Or are you going to be so far in debt that you're just going to be strapped? I know it's fun to look at those images on the computer right now, but do you want those in the memory bank for when you get married one day? You got to play the movie forward. Some of us are dealing with pain in our life right now, and it's because we came to this spot where we said, you know what, God, I don't want to obey you. I know what you want me to do, but I just want to feel good. I just want to feel pleasure. And now we're dealing with the pain of that. Don't let that entrap you. Here's a third desire that can entrap us. It's control. This is a big struggle for me. During the school year, when it's bedtime for my kids, I transform into Sergeant Strand. I mean, it's not pretty. I am like, wash your face, brush your teeth, get your jammies on, and get in bed by 9 o'clock. And then they don't listen, which makes me feel, what, even more out of control. My wife is pretty laid back in most areas of life, except for when it comes to the kitchen. I mean, you walk into the kitchen, she's just, what do you got there? What are you doing over there? That's, don't eat that now. That's for dinner. That's for later. Wash your hands. You don't just stick your hands in there. Get a cover on that. I mean, she likes to be in control in the kitchen. Me, I don't care so much about the kitchen, but the remote control. Well, there's only one ordained by God to control it, and it's me. I've told my kids, I said, you are lucky to live with a dad who's so good at fast-forwarding through commercials. Because we'll be watching a show, and I'll start fast-forwarding through the commercials, and we'll see our show. We'll get to the end of the commercial, and all four of my kids will start yelling, now, 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 little control freaks. And what they don't understand is if you wait 2.4 seconds into the show and you then you hit play, it takes you right back to the start of your program. I like to be in control. People who like to be in control, here's what they do. They'll oftentimes manipulate other people to get their way. They'll offer rewards or withhold rewards. They'll oftentimes be short-tempered or irritable, and they can be a real pain in the butt sometimes. Here's the theme verse. Here's the life verse for those who want control. It's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean on your own understanding when need be. And in some of your ways, acknowledge God, unless you need to take matters into your own hands in order to get your own way. Oh, that's not what the verse says. Some of you know that verse. That's not what it says, but that's oftentimes how we live our life. Here's what the verse actually says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, submit to God, and he will make your paths straight. Let me ask you, is there something in your life that you're trying to control right now? You're just trying to push it up the hill, make it happen, control the situation. What would it look like if you trusted in the Lord with all of your heart, if you didn't lean on your own understanding, but you sought out God and his wisdom, and in all of your ways you submitted to him? See, people who like control, we don't like to submit. We don't like to submit to our boss. We don't want to submit to our parents. We don't want to submit to God. But it's when you submit, it's when you trust that God makes your paths straight. Last year, I was seeing a counselor, and early on, he identified that this control thing is kind of an issue for me. 
that I want everything just so. I want the house clean. I want the kids achieving at high levels. I don't want any interruptions. I want my plan and my schedule to go according to my plan and my schedule. And at one point, he asked me to picture a hula hoop. And he said, picture yourself standing in the center of a hula hoop. And all the things in the center of the hula hoop, you can control. You can control your attitude. I get to decide if I'm going to be joyful or irritable. I get to decide if I'm going to be grateful or unthankful. I get to choose my attitude. I get to choose how hard I'm going to work at something, the effort I'm going to put into it. I get to choose if I'm going to obey God and seek him or if I'm just going to say, I'm going to do what I want, God. I get to choose that. But there are so many other things that are out of my control. I can't fully control how my kids behave. I mean, I can lead them, I can instruct them, but I can't fully control them. I can't control my spouse. I can't control my circumstances. I can't control my situation oftentimes in life. Things happen all the time. People respond in ways all the time that are outside of my control. And so you've probably heard people say, control what you can control. And that's pretty good advice. But I would add this addendum. Let God control what he can control. What can God control? Well, he can control everything. I mean, God's not limited by a hula hoop. There's nothing outside of his scope and abilities. And so I can't, but he can. And so when I find myself stressed and anxious because something has happening that's outside of my control, I begin to pray, God, I can't control this. But you are in control. And so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit to you. And I believe that you are in control. Last year, I got an email from a 24-year-old girl that really moved me. And I wanted to read it to you because I felt like God would use it to speak to you. She said, in 2015, I gave my life to Christ at the age of 21. But my journey to faith began in 2011. During my senior year of high school, I decided to attend a university and live in the dorm rooms. At this point, I identified as an agnostic and had no desire for a relationship with God. Three weeks into my freshman year, I got a call from a family friend saying I needed to pack my bags and I'd be going home indefinitely. Confused, I followed orders and left my dorm. But as I drove up my street, it was lined with people. My mom and sister met me at the car window to tell me the news. My father had committed suicide. No explanation, no note. We were blindsided. I ended up dropping out of college because I was a complete mess. Every day I was filled with sorrow and chaos and confusion about the future. I felt like a bucket with a large hole in the bottom that no matter how much my friends and family poured into me, I was dangerously empty. I found myself isolated, anxious, and feeling depressed. I tried to repair things on my own. During my first year of college, I loved being in control of my grades, my finances, my success. So I buried my head in the books to try to escape my depressive thoughts. Outwardly, all seemed well. But deep down, I knew I wasn't healed. I had never faced my grief head on. And it was coming out in unhealthy ways. I was gaining weight at a rapid pace, angry outbursts, resentment, and more. I would never admit it, but I desperately needed help. 
During my second year of college, I was invited to Eagle Brook, and I had no interest in learning about Christianity. But I came with a friend, and it happened to be Father's Day. I sat in my seat angry and resentful of everybody in the room who had a dad. I was heartbroken because I felt abandoned by my own father. But the miracle of my story is despite the rage I felt that day, I kept coming back. I was searching for something more. After finishing at a local two-year college, I moved into my university dorm room a few months before classes started. I knew I needed to figure some things out, so I spent two weeks locked in my dorm and watched four years of old Eaglebrook messages. God did something. Soon after, my heart began to change. I put my faith in Christ. I got baptized. I started serving at church. And from that moment on, God became a part of my identity. I went to college that fall confident, knowing who I belonged to. God changed my heart. He was trying to reach me. And I finally stretched my hand out for help. I wonder if there's any of us here today that need to stretch out your hand to God for help. That you've been looking in all of the wrong places. You've been thinking, you know what, I'll, I'll try a relationship, I'll try money, I'll try success. Looking for something that was going to satisfy you and fill you up. And still today you find yourself empty and restless. Augustine, the great theologian, said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. What if you came to Christ and said, God, I need your help? I can't do this on my own. I have this need for control. I have this need for pleasure. I have this need for approval. And God, it's not satisfying me. Only you can satisfy me at the deepest level. What would it look like for you to put God first in your life this week? First with your time. That you wake up and say, God, before I jump on social media, before I spend time with other people, I want to spend time with you. First in your finances, you say, God, before I spend any money on myself, I'm going to give to you first. For some of you, you say, you know what, this summer I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to put a stake in the ground that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm going to go to treatment. We're going to go see a marriage counselor because we need help. And we can't do it on our own. Today, I want to invite you to stand as we pray. And if you feel comfortable, go ahead and just hold your hands out like this. And this is just a physical, symbolic representation of God. I release this to you. Some of us need to release our control tendencies to God and just say, God, I just want to trust you. Some of us need to release our desire for pleasure and say, God, I release it to you. I want to obey you more than I want to feel good. And some of us need to say, God, I, I release to you my need for approval. And so, Lord, we do that right now. Lord, each of us have these deep desires 
and they're not unhealthy, they're not bad if they're ordered right. But for some of us, God, they're out of order. And so right now, God, some of us are gonna release to you our need for approval and ask that by your spirit, we would seek to please you alone. God, some of us are gonna release our desire for pleasure and say, God, I will obey you even when it doesn't feel good. And some of us are releasing our need for control. And we are saying, God, I will trust you with all of my heart, not just some of my heart, with all of my heart. God, we want to love you and desire you more than anything else in this world. God, I pray that you would meet us in the deepest place, that you would satisfy us at the deepest level. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.